Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. John chapter 12, I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples, they didn't even understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, if you remember, Jesus said that when the Spirit would come upon them, he would cause them to remember. This is the Spirit's work in their life, verse 17. Therefore the people, and this is the crowd, who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. In other words, they told other people what Jesus had done. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Church, there are three feasts a year that the Jews were required to go to. uh, If you were a male over the age of 20, you were required to bring your family to Jerusalem for Passover, this particular feast, for Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, and then for the Feast of Tabernacles, which is usually around the end of September, sometime in October. So Jerusalem is swollen with people swollen with crowds that are coming in for the Passover meal. Rome was always concerned when a great group of Jews gathered in Jerusalem because there always seemed to be an uprising that was attached to all of the Jews together there in Jerusalem. So they would oftentimes double, even triple their Roman garrisons so there would be more of a soldier presence. So just imagine the amount of Jews that were there for the Passover the amount of Roman soldiers that were there, Jesus comes in humility on a colt as the Passover lamb. Now, without even realizing it, the Jews here that are bringing Jesus into Jerusalem, they're actually fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy that was written 500 years before this event. Take a look, Zechariah chapter 9. The Bible says in verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. He's given the exact location that this would happen. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and having salvation. Lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now remember, written 500 years before. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow from bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, if you'll notice, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they only quote the first part of this prophetic scripture because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John finally came to understand that there's a first coming where Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey and then there'll be a second coming. Jesus came in the first coming, and he lived the sinless life, died on the cross, and rose again. We're about to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen. But because he's risen, let me assure you, church, Jesus is coming again. And he will rule, and he will reign, just like Zechariah said. Now, let me tell you something. When Jesus comes walking in, there is great rejoicing going on in Jerusalem. Great rejoicing. Take a look. It's Luke chapter 19, speaking about this very same event. Then, as he, Jesus, was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. These Jews had come from Galilee. 
They had seen everything that Jesus had done and the, did that the lame could walk and the blind could see. And they greatly rejoiced, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. Now, let me let you know something. If there's anyone that knew how to rejoice, it was the Jews during the feasts. Listen to what the Psalms prescribed for their rejoicing. Praise his name with dance. Sing praises with timbrel and harp. In other words, the modern-day guitar and keys. Just use instruments to give glory to God. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 96. Listen to how God prescribes how we should worship. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation, declare his glory among the nations, for great is the Lord and worthy of our praise. Let's give the Lord Jesus a clap offering this morning. You see, the Jews knew how to worship. Their style of worship was directed by God because God knows how he wants to be worshiped. This worship changed at the destruction of the temple when the Babylonians destroyed the temple and the Jews were carried off to Babylon, the synagogue arose. And the synagogue was a mourning, a memorial of the fact that they had lost their temple and they wanted to keep their faith. And so it turned from clapping and dancing and singing to stand up, sit down, read the law, pray. Something had changed in their style from celebration to somber. But at this moment, oh, there's the temple that Solomon, uh, uh, that Herod had built. I mean, what's not to celebrate? Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And word had gone out. The people that were there were telling everybody the fact that Lazarus had rose, risen from the grave. And everybody, well, the Bible let us know. They wanted to see Lazarus. Who wouldn't want to see this kid that had risen from the grave? And they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see the man that they had heard about that had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, this event was like a foreshadow, isn't it? Jesus, well, he would raise Lazarus who suffered from sickness. He died and rose again. And Jesus would use Lazarus as an example for each and every single one of us to know that Jesus would suffer from the sickness of sin. He would take sin upon his shoulders. He would die for us because he lived the sinless life. He took sin upon his shoulders for our sake, not for his sake. And then three days he was in the tomb. He would rise again, and we're getting ready to celebrate. And trust me, we will celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Amen? Now, the problem with most Christians is that when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was wrapped in grave clothes. I mean, how do you worship with grave clothes? God is so good. I mean, like, you can't even raise your hand. So Jesus looked at him and said, take the grave clothes off. And we've got to be careful to when we come walking out in the newness of life that we take our old self off and we walk in the new life that Jesus Christ has promised for us. Now, church, from this moment, it's only going to be a few days that another crowd, the Jerusalem crowd, stirred up by the angry Pharisees, they would cry, crucify him. But this crowd, these Galilee Jews, this was a different cry. This was the shout of worship of those who believed. These were the Jews from Galilee who had seen what Jesus had done, and they have ushered in a citywide worship service. So big was their worship, so loud was their worship. Take a look at Matthew chapter 21, what the Bible says. And when he'd come in Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? They didn't know what was going on. And the crowd responds and says, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, of Galilee. Can you imagine if all of LA started talking about, 
did you hear what was going on at Calvary Chapel South Bay at 8.30, 10.30, and 12.30? I mean, they shook the building with the way that they worshiped. I mean, can you imagine downtown Hollywood talking about Calvary Chapel South Bay that we're better than anything that they could put on the screen because we're in worship? Just imagine the whole city is moved because this group decided to worship. Church, we got something to learn from this group because we got a city to shake. This group rejoiced by giving everything they had. They greatly rejoiced by giving worship all they had. They shouted out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They picked up palm branches and they were going, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They weren't doing this. Hosanna. This thing is way too heavy anywhere. We're picking up these palm branches. My hand smells like green now. Just imagine. They weren't saying this. How many times are we going to sing this song? Hosanna, Hosanna. Didn't we sing this last week? Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, how many times are we going to sing this song? I mean, the lights are too bright. The guitar is too loud. Oh, oh, could you please tell the drums not to play so loud? I mean, oh my goodness, I got smoke coming in my eyes. Don't these people know I got asthma? (laughs) And sometimes we'll come to the table. Hosanna, this is heavy. No, no, no. These people were giving worship everything they had. There was nothing half-hearted about it. You see, their team had just won March Madness. And the MVP comes walking in on a donkey. That was what the MVP did at that particular time. You see, when David was making Solomon king, he said to his advisors, go get my donkey and let Solomon ride through the streets of Jerusalem so that everybody would know he's the MVP. He's the king. And when they saw the donkey, they knew Jesus. Because the donkey was to represent humility. The donkey was to represent that the leader was to serve the people. And when they saw the donkey, they shouted with everything that they had, the king of Israel, Hosanna! Not, there he is, Hosanna. We're going to stop for just a moment and think and consider. You see, they worshipped with everything they had. But they didn't just worship in spirit. They worshiped in truth. You see, spirit is one thing. I got spirit. Yes, I do. I got spirit. How about you? But truth is something else that's very important. They were guided in their worship by the word of God. You see, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, comes straight out of Psalm 118. They're clapping. They're raising their hands. They're dancing. It all came from the Scripture. They are worshiping the way that God says, worship me. He doesn't allow us to pick and choose how we worship. He says, this is how I'm to be worshiped, and this is how you're to worship me. It's all prescribed there in the book of Psalms. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this in John chapter 4. He's communicating to the woman at the well, and he says, but the hour is coming, and now is. In other words, the triumphal entry is about to happen. Okay? When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, they'll give it all they got, but it will be in truth. It'll be by the word of God. It will be the way that I want to be worshiped. And then he says this, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. In other words, God knows how he wants to be worshipped. We don't get to pick and choose how we worship. We worship the way that God has prescribed that we worship. Then he says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must, not a choice word, a directive word, must worship him in spirit, given everything they've got, and truth the way that I want to be worshipped. That's important for us as the church. It's very important for us for the church. Secondly, maybe you'll write it down. we got to learn something from this group. This group rejoiced greatly because they believed 
that God had the victory despite their circumstance. You see, when Jesus came into town, they ripped off palm branches. I need to let you know something why they ripped off a palm branch, because you might go, that's a little weird. I mean, why would you take a branch off and throw it down on the ground? I mean, we call that fall in the United States of America. Leaves fall down and we walk on them. No, no, no. There was something more significant that doesn't represent in our culture. You see, the palm branch is an ancient symbol for victory. When the Greeks would win the Olympic Games, they would be given not medals. They were given palm branches. You're the victor. Rome would take from the Greeks, and on every emperor's coin, going all the way to Constantine in 330 AD, his gold coin, you can see, there he is, standing like this, holding a palm branch, and he's letting the whole world know by his money, I am victorious. This was a sign of victory. You see, even in the Roman world in the first century, the word palm had replaced the word victory. So if you said that you were victorious, you would say, I'm a palm branch. And that, meant, that represented that you were victorious. But the palm branch, the palm branch represent, represented something completely different for the Jews. The palm branch was sacred. So sacred that when Solomon was building the temple, he would engrave palm branches into the temple like wallpaper. You see, the palm branch was something more to the Jew. So much so that there would be many Jewish girls who would be named Tamar. Because Tamar means palm. And every Jewish girl wanted to have the privilege of giving birth to the Messiah that would bring victory to the world. So Jewish mothers would name their children Tamar so that hopefully the Messiah prophetically would come through their daughter. You see, you have to understand the significance of the palm branch. And when Jesus comes walking into the scene, they wave these palm branches believing in victory. This is our king. He's going to bring us victory. Now, I need to remind you, they were living under Roman occupation. This was an act of faith. They were choosing to give glory to God and pronouncing the victory despite their circumstance. Let me tell you something. They knew scripture. In Isaiah chapter 61, let me tell you something about worship. The Bible says, to give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There is something about worship that when we feel heavy, when we are under our own Roman occupation, when we choose to shout out to God in worship, it removes that spirit of heaviness and brings us into a different perspective. Praise supernaturally lifts us out of heaviness, lifts us out of our circumstances, and puts on us a new perspective that God is victorious. Let's praise him. Let the church say... Amen. Thirdly, I want you to see these people teach us something so powerful about worship. They rejoice greatly because they were celebrating what God had done. They were celebrating the fact that Lazarus was alive. He was walking in the newness of life. People were so amazed about what happened They told all their friends and all of their friends, come to see Jesus. And let me tell you something. When you tell people about what Jesus is doing in your life, that actually is an act of worship. We do it every week here at church. Every week here at church, we sing songs. And we sing songs about the newness of life and what Jesus has done in our life. How do you sing them? God is so good. Hallelujah. I mean, people look at us and go, wow, Jesus has really done something powerful in your life. God is so good. God. The 830 service. I saw this poor parent 
looking to their teenage son. Please get up. Please stand up. Could you? And they started pulling him, and he sat back in the seat like this. I'm not getting up. And then I'm thinking, man, please get up. I'm about to teach a message on worship, and you're going to feel really bad. I started praying for the kid. So when we, when we sang the last song, you should have seen him. He was the first to get... <laughs> it was awesome. I saw a radical transformation at the 830 service. You see, when we sing these songs of worship... We are telling everyone in the church what God has done in my life. How are you telling people? When you go out into the world and you express a worship song, you're telling everybody what God has done in your life. And let me tell you, a changed life is one of God's greatest miracles. It's one of God's greatest miracles. And everybody loves a transformation story. In January, that's how all those companies make money. They show you the before and the after picture. Now, have you ever noticed that the before picture looks like most of us? Only 1% of the world lives in the after picture, but they give us a hope in a transformation story that you too could look like this because everyone loves when people are transformed. Calvary, we get to see this miracle every week at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. When someone comes forward, a marriage is being restored. When someone comes forward, a prodigal is coming home. When someone comes forward, a marriage is saved. When someone comes forward, someone is being ripped out of darkness and into life. Just last service, a man fell in my chest giving glory to God because his life was changed in coming forward. We get to witness this, witness this every week, this miracle of what God is doing. And there in the lobby... I love standing in the lobby because I'll hear this every week. I heard what was happening at South Bay, so I had to come see it for myself. And you know what I respond? Jesus is happening at South Bay, and God is doing a great, great thing. I just spoke to someone. He goes, my friend invited me two weeks ago to come to church, and I came to church this week. I don't know why I'm here, but I think I'm coming back. And I said, praise the Lord. Let me tell you something. When you communicate to others what God is doing, it's an act of worship. Worship celebrates the newness of life that only God can give. You see, when we worship, it's the attitude of gratitude that flows out of our heart that he's given us the newness of life. And there's nothing about newness. There's nothing greater than newness. You remember when you got your new car? You wanted everyone to see it? So you just opened the door so that they could smell the newness. Don't you love the newness? There's something about the newness. They even, smell, they even sell new car scent hanger things. You can buy a new car scent so your car can smell new for its entire life, okay? Now, if you leave hot dog in there for a long time, I don't know if that new scent thing is going to work, but everybody loves new. We love new house. Do you remember when you got your new house or your new apartment? Oh, you invited all your friends over. Now, they've never been invited back again because it's not new. But you wanted everyone to see your new house. You like when everyone sees your new clothes. Did you know this is a new shirt? It's new. It's new. I got it a month ago. It's new. And I've kept the tag on it since till last night, and then I put it on. And it feels so good to be new. Well, let me tell you something. I know new car, new house, new clothes feel great to tell people, but there's nothing like new faith. Nothing like when someone is snatched out of darkness and brought into life. There is something about newness that causes us to celebrate. With all this worship going on, take a look at John chapter 12, verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, they have a little meeting. You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Wah, wah, wah. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is revealing what happens in the enemy's camp when we begin to worship. The enemy is defeated when we greatly rejoice. 
the enemy is defeated. You see, all this rejoicing, all this great rejoicing is not so great for the enemy. And it's important to recognize that the enemy goes into the hell's war room when we begin to worship. So at 8.30 and 10.30 and 12.30 today, Satan goes into his war room and he has a meeting with all of his little lamps. They're worshiping. They're worshiping. We've got to do something. And let me tell you why he's so concerned about our worship. Because worship is a weapon that's formed against him. It's a weapon that's given to us by God. Even Jesus, when he was fighting the enemy after 40 days of fasting, he said to the enemy and defeated the enemy, he said this, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Worship destroys the work of the enemy in your life. Let me give you an example. It was many years ago at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. I got a phone call, and they said, Pastor Chet, you need to get to the cafe. I got to the cafe, and there was a woman, about six foot four. Let's call her Zena, the warrior princess, okay? She's about six foot four, and she is throwing food. She is mad, angry, and violent, and she is throwing food at people. I'm like, why did you call me? The guy looked at me and goes, you've been through a war. You'll know what to do. Just get in there. So I'm praying as I'm walking to Zena, and God forgive me for, I don't know her name, so I'm, just, I'm walking to Zena, I grab Zena's hand, and I, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, there's someone that would like to see you in my office. Wants to see me? Now I'm thinking, Lord, please let there be someone in my office. <laughs> I see my assistant, and I look at her, and I go, this is Zena. She would like to, I didn't say Zena at the time, but this is Zena, she would like to meet with you. And she goes, okay, wasn't this the lady that was just throwing food at her? So I put, I silence her, put her in my office. I walk out of my office. Zena gets up out of the seat. She runs into the office next door. There is a girl in that office who is four foot eight, tiny little girl. Zena shuts the door, locks it, looks through the glass and goes, like this turns around and lunges over the desk to grab this poor girl in the office. The girl sees the hands coming, grabs her hands, drops on her knees, and begins to worship Jesus. Zena didn't know what to do. She dropped on the floor. I opened the door and rescued the poor girl from Zena. The enemy doesn't know what to do when we worship. He goes into his war room and he pouts. Look at him. They're worshiping. They're going after Jesus. The whole world is going after Jesus. What are we? We lost again. How are we going to stop this? So disturbed through this enemy meeting, Luke tells us something that the enemy did. The Pharisees went to Jesus in the middle of this great worship service and said, You got to stop them, keep them quiet. The enemy doesn't want us to worship. And look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 19. Jesus responds and he says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Let me tell you something, California. If there's any warning in Scripture that we need to heed in earthquake California is this Scripture. Calvary Chapel, South Bay cannot be silent. We've got to worship God to prevent the rocks from crying out. Praise the Lord and amen. So Jesus silences them. And the enemy realized, okay, the frontal attack is not working. So the enemy goes for the sly internal attack. He don't give up. Because he wants to stop this worship. Take a look. It's John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him. Philip is a Greek name, so they thought, I'll go to Philip. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew was the one that was always bringing people to Jesus. He brought Peter. He brought Nathaniel. He just was always bringing people to Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. You've got to imagine the scene. We've got all this. We, 
we got all this, uh, this rejoicing going on. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! We're in the middle of this huge worship service. Imagine, we've got palm fronds flailing, victory, 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 and the Greeks come up in the middle of this worship service. We would like to see Jesus. Please, Philip, since you're Greek, could you help us to see Jesus? They want Jesus to get off the donkey, so they go through Philip. Philip goes to Andrew. You see, the enemy is trying an internal attack, and it's spreading very quickly. It's like you are in the middle of Calvary Chapel South Bay worship, and your hands are up, and your husband leans over to the side, and he says, what's for lunch? It's like you are in the middle of worship and giving it all you've got. And your wife leans over and goes, you know, there's a sale at Macy's today. <sighs> Could you get Jesus off the donkey for just a minute? We, 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 want, to, we want to tell him something. <clears throat> and Jesus, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows that the enemy will use any trick of the trade to stop worship. So he goes for the jugular. Take a look at verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In other words, he states matter-of-factly, this crucifixion is going to happen. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life I need to let you know something. Jesus is going straight for the jugular here. The Greeks loved their lives. They loved comfort. They loved convenience. And the last thing that they wanted was suffering. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves him, me, let him follow me. And where I am... There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubling. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Take a look at verse 28. Father, glorify your name. See, the Greeks, they didn't want him to suffer. And they were trying to infiltrate through Philip who then spread it to Andrew, let's not have Jesus suffer. I mean, we're Greek. We have a philosophy that's much different. We have a philosophy of comfort and convenience. And think how loving this must have sounded. Well, we don't want Jesus to suffer. We've heard what the Pharisees are going to do. Come on, I mean, like, go talk to Jesus. It may even seem helpful. It may seem in innocent. It may seem as if they're so caring and so loving, but I need to remind you, it's satanic. You see, Satan had tried this trick earlier with Peter. You remember. Hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer under the Jews. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. <laughs> Peter, hey, Jesus, come over here. <laughs> this whole suffering thing, it's not going to go great with the disciples. So let's kind of put that under the carpet. You know, let's not talk about suffering, and this whole suffering leads to glory. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. The disciples are struggling with the fact that suffering leads to glory. It's a theological weakness of the disciples. And Satan knows it. And Satan will always attack us at our weak areas to stop us from worship. You know your hands are raised and he comes internal. You know what you did. Put your hands down. He begins the condemnation thing. He begins to communicate. You, you had a fight with your wife on the way here. What are you doing, worship? And why are you even in church? It's just what the enemy does. He attacks us in our weak areas. Suffering leading to glory. The cross before the crown was a weak area for the disciples. But without the suffering of Jesus, Jesus is making it very clear we would all be eternally lost. 
So Jesus doesn't waste any time with this internal attack. He addresses the issue. They want Jesus to run from the hit for the hills. They've become aware of the Pharisees' plan to kill him. But this was God's plan for Jesus. He was fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9. He was going into Jerusalem. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 5. The Bible says in verse 7, who, speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with them it cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And let me explain what that means. That means that Jesus was God. When he came to be the God-man, he experienced obedience for the first time. He learned it. He didn't have to be obedient to God when he was in heaven, but as the God-man, he learned obedience for the very first time. It was a new experience for him. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Let me put it in chat language. He says he became the author. He wrote the book on salvation. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. And he learned this through his obedience. His act of obedience, his act of obedience was his act of worship. Because he would glorify God through his death. Let me prove it to you. Turn to First Chronicles, if you would. First Chronicles chapter 16. You see, when we're obedient and we worship, we are glorifying God. And glorifying God is the act of worship. It is the bottom baseline understanding of why we worship. We worship to be able to say, Father, glorify your name. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, verse 28. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 28. Give to the Lord, O families of all the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. In other words, when you worship, give it all you got. Give to the Lord glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Jesus was obedient to the point of the cross. And that was the act of his worship. He asks us to give the sacrifice of our lips in praise. That's what he asks us. Our act of worship, our obedience is to give God glory with our lips in praise. You see, Jesus made it very clear. If you want to serve me, you've got to be where I'm at. Because every servant is where their master is. Now, he's not talking about geography. He's talking about theology. He's talking about philosophy. And what he's saying is, you've got to think the way that I do. You've got to worship the way that I worship. Paul believed it. Look at Romans 12.1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, <clears throat> Paul writes, I beseech you, I'm begging you. Listen to what he writes to the church. By the mercies of God, since God has forgiven you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be like Jesus, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, let me translate that for you. Which is your act of worship? When you give your life to God in obedience, it is an act of worship. And one of those acts of worship is to give the sacrifice of your lips in praise to God. Now, with that, it's important that you understand something. It's important that you realize that Jesus has arranged this entire worship service. He's the one that sent the disciples to get the donkey. He's the one that did it. Because Jesus has one thing on his mind. Father, glorify your name. He arranged an entire worship service of worship so that God would be glorified. Let me tell you why. 
It's Psalm chapter 22, verse 3. The Bible says this, that God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. He inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship, we are ushered into the presence of God. That's why it's important that we learned how they worshiped. Because this worship service in Jerusalem is being used by the Spirit to teach us how to worship. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He directed it. He is right there in the midst of it. He is receiving this amount of praise. The only people that he rebuked were the people that wanted to stop the worship. Now, there was a problem with the crowd. The crowd that day, they worshiped because everything was great. The king is coming. Lazarus had just been risen from the grave. This is like happy Jesus. But a few days later, when the other crowd would cry, crucify him, they forgot to worship. And they caved in to the plan of the enemy. They caved into pressure. That lesson is important for us too. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, something happens. It's trial and tribulation. Revelation chapter 6, the trial has gotten so great, heaven asks a question. It's Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to pick it up there, the last verse, verse 17. Heaven asks a question. Who is able to stand? Through the trial that they've walked through, who can make it through this? Chapter 7 answers the question. There are two groups of people that will be able to stand this kind of trial. The first group is 144,000 Jews. 12,000 from every tribe. They're going to be like the Apostle Paul. They're going to be radical, telling everyone about Jesus. And they are going to be so on fire. They're going to be so on fire that the world is going to hear about Jesus from these 144,000 Jews that are able to stand. But there's another group. That group is called tribulation saints. These are those that make the decision for Christ after the rapture. And let me tell you what this says of them when they die. It's Revelation chapter 7. I'll pick it up in verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues. Sounds like Calvary Chapel South Bay. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now take a look clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. Do you realize that Palm Sunday is a rehearsal for the rest of eternity when we are shouting victory to Jesus? Palm Sunday is simply a rehearsal. It's an opportunity for us to learn how from this crowd how we're to worship. See, they greatly rejoiced. And the first thing that I told you is they gave worship all they had. There was no this. There was no this. There was this. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. They were waving their palm branches, giving it worship everything they got. Listen, Paul says that when we come to church, We should speak to each other in hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. But the way we speak to each other is just as important as speaking to each other. So if you're speaking to your friend as you're singing worship like this, Praise God from whom all... I forgot the words. I didn't really... And what's sad for me is sometimes when I look out and I see that, 
you can see why the kid felt so bad in the middle of the service. He's Jesus. This crowd, they were passionate about Hosanna. Worship. We got to believe God for victory through worship, despite our present circumstances. They were waving palm fronds despite the fact that they were under Roman occupation. They were worshiping by faith because worship is an act of faith. It doesn't matter where you're at in in life. Lift up your banner and give worship to God because worship is not a feeling. Worship is an act of faith. It's the way that God is glorified. This group, They were celebrating the great work of God for giving the newness of life. We've been saved. We've been ripped from darkness and into life. We get to tell everyone in the church, every song that we sing, we've been saved. Church, worship defeats the enemy. No matter how you feel, No matter your circumstance, no matter your experience, choose to worship when the enemy comes against you because worship is a weapon that he has no idea what to do with. I was driving last week and I looked over and there's this girl and she's listening to this music and she's like this in the car. Like this. Her boyfriend is over off the side and he's like this going... Yeah, yeah. When they pulled up, the music was anything but worship. I loved the beat and I loved the bass. But the words were horrific. So you know what I did? Pulled up right next to her. Now I need to let you know something about me. When I get in my little pickup, it's the only place of peace for me. So I don't play music. I don't listen to anyone. I don't even answer the phone. I get 20 minutes on my drive home just to be at peace. So I just, but not today. I pulled right up to that gal. I rolled down my window. I pulled up my bass and I turned up my volume and worship music started blasting out of my car. And I went like this. (laughs) And I thought to myself, If you can go nuts for the world, I can go nuts for my Jesus. We've been called to celebrate. Let's pray. Jesus, how thankful we are for worship. And now I ask in Jesus' name, would you move in this place? by the power of your spirit. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God from heaven said, I agree with Jesus. I'm going to glorify my name. That is why we worship. Therefore, the people who stood by heard it and said, it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice didn't come because of me. I didn't need to hear this. It came because of you. You needed to hear it. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out because the enemy doesn't know what to do when we worship. We cast him out. And if I'm lifted up from the earth, if I go to the cross... I will be the grain that goes into the ground and it will produce much fruit. I will draw peoples, many peoples, to myself. And can I tell you, church, he's been doing it for 2,000 years, drawing people to himself. And in the 830 service, he drew people to himself. In the 1030 service, he drew people to himself. The church got to celebrate the newness of life because Jesus was doing what he promised to do. He was drawing people to himself. And if you're here at the 1230 service, there's hope for you. Jesus Christ, he is drawing you to himself. He died for you. 
And for 2,000 years of history, he's been drawing thousands, millions of people to himself because he wants to pull you out of darkness and give you new life and bring you to light. The offer of salvation is available for you. Today you can know without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to heaven. That's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is life eternally. If there's anyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and today you desire to know him, I'm not going to have you come up front because of the palm fronds. I don't want you to trip. But like in the 8.30 and the 10.30, I want you to just simply raise your hand and say, today, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Is there anyone in the 12.30 service that would raise their hand? Because Jesus called people publicly. I'm not asking to close your eyes and bow your head. Amen, I see you, brother. Amen. Is there anyone else that would say, I want Jesus Christ, amen? Anyone else that would say, I want Jesus as my Savior, amen, 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 and amen. Amen, I see you. Yes, amen. Amen, I see you. I see you in the back. Is there anyone else that would say, yes, I see you in the back, I see you as well. I see you as well, amen, amen. Well, here's what we wanna do. We want to lead you in a prayer, and the whole church is going to pray this with you. I'm just going to introduce you to my friend Jesus and give you the words to say. It's a prayer of faith. So would you pray these words after me? Let it be your heart, even though it's my words. Dear Jesus, I believe, and I desire the newness of life. Forgive me, Lord. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again and I thank you that this Easter I'm a Christian in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message If you have any questions or just want to check us out make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org God bless you guys and we'll see you next week